Hello and welcome to the Forbes India cover story podcast series in association with the indicas.com. My name is Abhishek and to talk about this issue's cover story we have I think one of the most familiar voices in Forbes India that is deputy editor Shishir Prasad. Hi Shishir. Hi Abhishek. How are you? Doing good. He's been around with us for many many podcasts and we also have Dinesh Narayanan another voice that we've heard before the senior editor joining in from Delhi. Hi Dinesh. Hello Abhishek. Always a pleasure talking to you. Thank you. And this week issue is about an acronym which is probably the most recognized one among anybody who's in his 20s or 30s or anybody who follows the news and that is the BRICS or the BRIC as we call it the BRIC economy. Without further ado, why don't one of you tell us what's the story about? Well, the editor's letter in this uh, issue sets it out very clearly. The germ of the idea came when uh, you know Rachel Sharma who is a market strategist at Morgan Stanley was in India touring to promote his book, which is Breakout Nations, where the book talks about the countries which have managed to become wealthy over time and, and, and which haven't and stuff like that. So there was a whole uh, bunch of us who met him. Ganesh was also there, Praveen, who is our collaborator on this story, was also there. And so the idea sort of emerged that, look, can we use this discussion around whether India is losing steam into a larger question, which is that have the concept of the emerging markets in some ways started to lose promise. Emerging markets term has been around for a very long time. But uh, it was, I think, a decade ago, right, Dinesh, when that term was coined, BRIC? BRIC was coined, yeah, almost a decade ago. I think it was in 2003. So this was uh, Goldman Sachs report. It talks about why certain countries, especially China, well, we should go in the order. So BRIC is Brazil, Russia, India, China. The original concept was these four large economies. And he talked about why these countries would add lots of consumers, a lot of investment to the global economy, and they would actually become some of the largest economies in the world. So once that report came out, these countries in some ways started being perceived as the next heavyweight. And so therefore, we just harked back to the concept and said, look, can we take a look at these four economies and say if they are slowing down, is there a case to be made that there is some trouble in the emerging market world? And that are these guys falling behind? Because when countries slip up, it usually doesn't get noticed very easily. I mean, you know, you tend to sort of, you know, ignore them over time. And all of a sudden you realize, hey, you know, these guys haven't delivered on the promise that they were supposed to be. So that's the germ of the idea. That's how we started on the... If I were to add to what Shishir was saying, I still remember in, when the BRIC report first came out, I used to be working in a newspaper in Bombay reporting on the equity markets and the banking sector. And I remember it, it caused such a huge sensation and everybody in the market was talking about the BRIC report. And 2003 was when, if I'm not mistaken with the, the date, the Maruti IPO had hit the market. And the Maruti right. IPO had uh, caught huge response. At that time, the BJP government, uh, BJP led the National Democratic Alliance government was in power. And suddenly, whole Shining India campaign of the BJP started. And suddenly everybody was talking about BRIC and this coinage also came at the same time. And suddenly there was such a lot of euphoria, it was difficult to sort of see through it what was happening. Right. And why is it then in this report, in the in the article that you mentioned that these countries are slipping up a bit? And I think this is a phrase Shishir used some time back. If China is growing at, let's say, 8.9%, it doesn't seem much like a slip up, right? They're still doing good, although they are not making 10% per annum, let's say, if you take China as, as a case. And until six months back, India was doing pretty fine as well. If you if you keep aside the rupee depreciation and what the, the petrol price hike that took place 
a few hours back. So what is the definition of slip-up? Before defining slip-up, yeah. I think I need to mention one point here. Right. The 8.9% figure which is quoted in the story is also fast getting dated because right. now the Chinese economy is expected to slow down to 7.5%. So the latest reports are suggesting that uh, the Chinese economy will slow down to 7.5%. The next numbers which would come out probably would show that. At one point of time, Chinese economy was growing 10 plus, 10.5, 11. It was a, it was scorching pace of growth and then suddenly it comes down. So five percentage point slip is and the size of China's economy is quite a bit. So mm. that has to be considered as a slowdown. See, a developed economy growing at 7% is probably equivalent to a developing economy growing at 15%. Right. So a developed economy mm. growing at 3 or 4% will be considered very high. Mm. And uh, coming to your point about the petrol and diesel price hike, it is also reflective of what is happening in uh, the BRIC countries, especially countries like India, where the policy... Uh, reforms have failed to match up to the growth promise which these countries showed when the BRIC report first came out in the early 2000s. The BRIC report itself was predicated because there were some reforms going on at that point of time and growth was happening across the world. And the BRIC report itself said that if these reforms are carried forward as they are being done today, then these countries have the potential to grow at such and such rate and by 2050, China will be the number one economy, US will be the number two. Actually, the BRIC authors reviewed the report again three years later and said that India would actually replace US as well. So China will be the number one economy and India will be the number two economy. That is what uh, they had predicted. But these reforms have failed to take off, at least in India. The other countries have other issues. As far as India is concerned, these reforms failed to take off. Policy decisions did not happen quickly enough. Even now, a lot of policies are pending. A lot of bills are pending. Investment is slowing down in India. And a lot of uh, urgent measures which are required to address the government's public finances as well as external finances are not in place. So what you saw this sudden hike in petrol and diesel prices after a, a very long time and much heated debate is a result of a prevarication of a measure which they should have done a long time ago. And that is why it is creating such a huge uproar as well. Because India's current account deficit is highly predicated on the oil prices. When the oil prices rise and we, we import 70% of our oil, which is our biggest uh, import bill. That is what has caused the current account deficit to widen so much. The whole thing culminated in the price rise. This yeah. can give a very brief thing about... Why are we saying that these guys are slowing down and why is 7.5 or for India 6.9 so bad? I think it's, if you go back to school and if you judge countries according to that, let's say if you've been scoring 85%, 90% over the, let's say, through your 6th, 7th, 8th, and 9th, and right. all of a sudden in your 10th and 11th, you drop to 65%. The 65% is first class. But relative to what you have been performing, you are worse off. That's how we measure, right? We say that, look, I think you haven't been studying too hard. And I think that's the notion that we bring in here, mm -hmm. and which is the broader point that even Richard's book makes, and I think which is a very important point to consider. And point to consider is that if the growth comes off a little bit, though we might, I must quickly add here, and Dinesh can elaborate a little bit, China's problems are a little different. I mean, they have grown a lot, and they have done a lot. So their problems are quite different. But for other guys, what happens is if the, if the growth comes off even for a few years, 
it can push many things out into the future. So stuff that we are supposed to achieve by 2015 or 2020 will be achieved by 2025, stuff like that. And why should that matter? Well, it, it should matter to all of you, me, everybody who is you know, saving their money for the future. The job opportunity that you might have had because investment was flowing into the country may not happen. Your plans for you know saving all your money for a rainy day gets pushed out. So the vacation that you have been saving up and stuff like that, all that gets impacted over the long term. So, you know, countries exist. But unfortunately, mm-hmm. we live over 20 years, 20, 30 years, and you've got to achieve your stuff during, during that time. And that's what the point the book makes. Countries usually get about 7 to 10 days, 7 to 10 years, sorry, 7 to 10 years in which they show tremendous pace. And once mm-hmm. they achieve that momentum, it's like, you know, a train picking up momentum. After that, the growth becomes easier. So, Korea uh, had that growth momentum from, you know, 1978 to about 87. Japan had it in the 60s. Taiwan mm-hmm. had it perhaps 70. So what we are making the case is that, you know, in our initial euphoria, which lasted between 2003 to 2008, which is the, the world of plenty as we know it now, which mm-hmm. was the bull market, there's a lot of global liquidity was there, everything looked right with the world. Mm-hmm. And now with that liquidity going out, is it possible that you could have a slow pace which will impact all mm-hmm. these forecasts? So that's what we are trying to debate. So then what does it mean to the world economy? We know what's happening in Europe. Uh, My feeling is, and Dinesh, correct me if I'm wrong, is that already because there is a slowdown either in China and India, you've seen the impact. The companies, if they could, in those economies, in developed economies, if they thought they could sell all their stuff, you know, if their demand was lacking in their home countries, they could export it all to India or China, have faced that issue. I don't think these countries are buying in the in the amount that that would have offset the loss in their own home country. So the world is getting adjusted to a lower rate of growth. Absolutely right. And just to make one more point about the slowdown before I come to this point, India is expected to have grown at the latest uh, estimate is at 6%. Earlier estimate was about 6.5 to 7%. I don't exactly remember whose report I read today, but it was one of the broking companies, uh, uh, broking firms reports, which expecting the last quarter GDP growth to be not at 6%, not at 6.5 or 7%. So at 6%, wow. with the inflation rate upwards of, say, 8%, the real growth is actually negative. Mm. It's not really that you're growing, actually. Your nominal GDP mm. might be at 6%, but your inflation has kind of uh, put paid to it and you are growing at a negative growth rate. But it's strange, isn't it? Because in the US or in Europe, customers are not actually spending they might not go to a Starbucks because they want to save because they've seen what happened in 2008. But we don't see that happening in India, right? There are malls coming in, multiplexes, people going out and actually buying. So in spite of that, so where do you think seems to be the problem? There is inflation, but there is that much more money being spent also from other consumers. So the slowdown, is it because of lack of capital infusion from other countries into India or expansion of businesses? Where do you see the slowdown coming from India? There are multiple factors to it. Slowdown is not, but in general, industrial production has been slowing. Fuel price inflation also feeds into the prices of other products as well because transportation costs go up. Prices of proteins have gone up significantly. Milk prices in Delhi, for example, have doubled in three years. The government policy remains a, a huge issue where it is not able to push investments into sectors where they are required, for example, infrastructure sectors which is a huge bottleneck for the industry. It is not able to push land acquisition bills, for example, which again hinders the industry from expanding. 
So many of these issues are restricting growth as far as industry is concerned. I think, uh, see, if you look at a country like India, Brazil, for instance, what will happen is you open up your economy. You've also created a, a system where people, like you said, want to consume more. Now, if you want that cycle to continue, you also have to allow investments to come in to create stuff, let's say, the logistics between production centers of, let's say, Gurgaon to the ports, let's say, have to become much more easier. That will require a whole host of policy measures that Dinesh spoke about. You need to get the land acquisition thing cleared so that some rail line is built there, so the goods travel faster, so the price of transportation falls. So it's all interlinked, and we're not going to get into all that. But what we're saying is that if, if the pace of investment slows down, and we're not talking about excessive consumption. We're just talking about, he spoke about milk. You take vegetables, whatever. Take the basic stuff. There's demand for that. That's not something which is, you know, we're not talking about Audi cars here. Right. right? And the prices of those have shot up through the roof. Some, in some cases, have doubled within like a year or two. Why has that happened? It's because you're unable to channel investments which will create more production, which will match your desire to consume even the basic stuff. We aren't in any way suggesting that, you know, these are rich guys who are suffering. So, you know, milk stuff affects everybody, right? So if that is not happening, I think that is what we, we say that these guys are slowing down. It's like getting into a video game. Once you are clocked one level, two levels, three levels, four levels, there's no going back. You've right. got to keep leaping over the tiles, jumping over the fires to keep on going. Otherwise, you know, it's over, right? You cannot stop now. So you keep going. And countries which have made it have shown the desire to take steps which are a hard on their own population and sometimes unpopular, but which will help you in the long run. So, you know, again, to go back to the analogy of somebody who's a good performer, if you want to go from 80% to 95%, it means, means perhaps waking up two hours earlier, putting that extra hard yard, not going to play a cricket match on the Saturday which you really wanted to. So there are things that you have to give up. And if you don't, then you start at 80 again. This is not a bad place to be in, but if you keep on telling yourself and telling the world that you are worth 95, you can't deliver 80. That's what we are saying. And Dinesh, you can debate this. I feel that that sometimes lulls you into like exactly what you said. Lulls you in the sense of everything is all right. You know, malls are still there. People are still coming. But do we know whether in those malls people are actually going and buying or they're simply having a nice time? Because if you look at the, you know, mall rentals, if you look at the build-out of malls, all that has fallen in the last few years. It's not gone up. So then the last question is then, do you see a new acronym being coined or do you see a few new countries coming in the fray in the next few years? Yeah, we speak about that in the story. And what we say is that there are a few countries, obviously, and the names are there, for instance, mm-hmm. Turkey, Indonesia, countries which have gone through their own tough times and who have taken the steps to improve their own economy. And they are getting record flows of investment. Will they replace the BRICS? We don't think so. I don't think we say so in the story. People have smart, smart and they'll, they'll allocate capital across the world. It will not be, for instance, concentrated in the three or four things. India will continue to get stuff but based on its potential, could it have got more? Yeah. So some of that will probably go to these countries. But these countries have their own challenges, which touch upon. In fact, just as BRIC was formed as a investment marketing term, there have been other acronyms as well, like CIVETS or EGLE. You know, CIVETS is, if I'm not mistaken, Cambodia, Indonesia, Vietnam, those countries. Yeah. So this were already there for the past few years. Even though, even Ruchi Sharma says that in his book, Breakout Nations, that any of these countries could break out in the coming years. But I feel that some of these countries might become the flavor of the season. 
but it might be very difficult for any of these to sustain prolonged period of economic boom i think this is an important point we find that countries have a challenge once they have had a few good years everybody likes to relax after a while you know you worked hard for 10 years now you want to take it easy mm-hmm. and i think countries are not different they work very hard for 7 8 years and then they say okay now we've got we've improved a lot what happens is a lot of people are better off than before and i think in some ways it also happens which richard's book hints and which also you see in various countries the problem that various countries have is that there are the people at the top or let's say you know the top 20% of the population which are now better off and perhaps when you open the market further it may harm somebody's interest so a lot of economies then stop taking those hard decisions after that so it will we will we'll have to see how these countries which is you know indonesia or wherever where that class gets created as they become richer can they continue to break out of that and continue to you know reform and keep changing so that's the world the story but the other i think important thing which i wanted to tell you after that which if you have any other questions you can ask from a story point of view because it's a cover story podcast it was a completely new thing for us we normally do stories on india and so therefore uh, when the idea came up that let's do a, a big story it was actually a bit of a shocker for all of us because you know thank you we said in india but then uh, what worked was a, a tremendous amount of collaboration between a, a completely disparate bunch of people i cover technology and some minus finance for for my living actually apart from the other basic that one has <laughs> dinesh is hardcore into economics and economic policy he sits in delhi praveen is essentially a markets guy looks at markets but he's also our go to guy for data has wonderful you know data sort of sort of talks to him thinks to him then there is uh, kuku paul who is another very senior editor and she was in the us for exchange program with her for us thing but she was there and there's sujata shrinivas who contributes to us from uh, i think connecticut if i'm not mistaken connecticut yeah uh, yeah yeah she is from there so this was like coalition politics it was coalition writing we all sort of cobbled together various things praveen crunched through massive amounts of data Dinesh brought in his entire understanding of the large scale sort of macroeconomic changes. Kuku got in Jim O'Neill. She she managed to speak a speaker. I think got get got in from on a mail who was the guy who coined the term break. Sujata got in uh, Ronald Coates, who is the oldest living economist for the Nobel laureate. Yeah, I think it's plus hundred people who study economics would remember something called the Coase theorem. C O A S E Coase. Ronald Coase. She spoke to him and Charles Assisi, who is the executive editor. I think once we wrote the story out it was sticking out in various directions <laughs> it's not never easy to write such a story and so he sort of hammered and then you know, polished it off in a way that's far more readable in some ways while the brick may be slowing down the collaboration inside folks certainly isn't and so that was wonderful i think thanks thanks for giving us the behind the scenes about how you put this story together thanks a lot for your time dinesh and jashir thank you sir once thanks so much anshay And for all your listeners, uh, like always, you can get this podcast on ForbesIndia.com and also on iTunes as well as TheIndicast.com. You can subscribe to Forbes by messaging Forbes to five one eight one eight. That's about it.